Welcome to Happy Times and Places, a positively inclined Doctor Who commentary podcast in which I, Toby Haydock, get a special guest to nominate a Doctor Who story. I then have to commentate along and see if I can guess what my guest's favourite thing about each episode might be. Hello, Toby. It's me, David J. Howe here. Now, you may know me as a writer, as a researcher, as a publisher of all things connected with Doctor Who. Um, but today I'm here to talk to you about one of my favourite stories, and it's The Mind Robber. Well, hello everyone. Welcome to this final instalment, not of Happy Times and Places. There's a few stories to go yet, but of the Happy Times and Places concerning one of Doctor Who's strangest five-parters. I mean, one of Doctor Who's few, only three five-parters, but one of Doctor Who's strangest stories full stop, The Mind Robber. One of the sort of two that were considered surreal in from the 60s uh, roster of stories, The Celestial Toymaker and The Mind Robber have always been kind of uh, sort of labelled together, uh, thrown in together as the two sort of surreal sisters of, uh, of, of the 60s. Uh, and you know, I, I suppose you know, warriors deep, warriors of the gate is a bit weird, isn't it? But uh, nothing really goes for the sort of, you know, because Celestial Toy Maker has toys coming to life, the Mind Robber has uh, characters from books coming to life. It's it's sort of about, it's about sort of, you know, that it's it's deliberately pointing to the unreality and the childhood basis of uh, of the of the threats or uh, or you know, the guest characters or whatever, in, in a way that no no other story really does, let alone, uh, uh, you know, not just not just from the 60s, but from the from the classic series, full stop. And it's, uh, you know, could you do something like that today? Well, as I record this, um, Neil Patrick Harris is playing a character who looks like he might exist on the realms of fantasy and reality. But it's a tough call, especially as Doctor Who is a show that uh, you know is often op- gets opened up for uh, criticism or you know is easy to point at the ridiculousness of it so if you if you deliberately sort of up the fictional content um those who are disposed so to do might go well it's just got it's just got silly now but of course everybody knows the potential to have talking toys or talking fictional characters is silly i mean they're aware of that and they've gone for it anyway so i think that almost defeats the argument being made before it is made yeah they're they're toying with the idea of what is it they're really you know they're really tottering on a line here and and deliberately so and they should be uh, uh, applauded for that and i think it's more successful here in uh, in the mind robber than in in toymaker where toymaker i think the idea is great but um, in execution well Anyway, let's see what happens when I have to be positive about uh, Toymaker, which uh, I do have uh, uh, an illustrious guest who has, who who is a, a, a staunch advocate of the story. It's it's their favourite story, in fact. So um, I'll uh, I'll have to take a weekend off when I do that one. Ha ha ha! Let us see. But we're not talking about the Celestial Toymaker. We are talking about the Mind Robber. We're not talking about William Hartnell. We're talking about Patrick Troughton, and we're not talking about my guest advocating the Celestial Toymaker. We're talking about David J. Howe, one of the early sort of, you know, fans who were producing stuff and researching and uh, his own particular expertise is toys, but he also wrote biography of John Pertwee uh, and was one of the brains behind 
some of the early Doctor Who research that then you know was transformed into the 60s, 70s, 80s books, the handbooks, uh, and uh, you know various publications that have all you know laid the foundations for what has come after. Uh, you know, really important work that David has done, and I bump into him at conventions, and he's he and his wife Sam are always a joy to see. So I'm grateful that he went to such an effort to record a video for the mind robber which you aren't seeing you're just hearing the audio from it but you know, but he really put the he really put the work in uh, completely wasted uh, in the audio medium um i might eventually put these on youtube but uh, it's un it's unlikely to be honest at this stage because audio is much easier to do and that's that's not because I'm phoning this in. Do you know what I mean? I will do my very best to edit it nicely, and I'm using a nice microphone and I, all of that sort of thing. But um, we're not in lockdown anymore, people. I haven't got time to be filming myself on my sofa, then cutting it together. So I'm sorry, people of YouTube. It's people of iTubes uh, that uh, have have, uh, have benefited more because uh, it's easier to get this stuff out there. It's also easier to get an episode completed if it's only 20 minutes long, isn't it? Doctor Who production team of 1968. So uh, let's see how much of a lick they can uh, get proceedings uh, wrapped up in. Uh, can you lick and wrap up at the same time? Is that a, a mixed metaphor? I suppose you can. Um uh, well, let's let's uh, anyway. Let's see. Let's let's uh, let's all lick and wrap together um, <laughs> as we press play on the Mind Robber episode five. Sorry, I thought I was about to be eaten then, and it's just uh, the washing machine draining. You you can't hear it. So, uh, but what if you could hear what you thought was a monster is actually just drainage. Oh, this is the sort of stuff you get when you're not recording in a <laughs> in a professional studio but doing the homespun thing it's like a it's like a window into my very uninteresting life anyway here we go we are going to watch the mind robber in three two one so uh, this is the final episode of The Mind Robber. It looks very short to me on my playing. Uh, I think it's one of the shortest episodes of Classic Who. So uh, this should be over. This should be pain, painless uh, if you don't like listening to my voice, which, of course, is a very silly thing to be doing. Peter Ling, of course, created Crossroads. So I was always quite uh, impressed that his name, because he wasn't a Doctor Who name, so I remember being quite uh, impressed that his name was on, uh, you know, a Doctor Who, because Doctor Who was always given luster to me by people that had excelled outside of the world of Doctor Who. I thought if you were famous just for Doctor Who, you were sort of tainted, because it was the thing I loved, even though it was the thing I loved most in the world. Uh, and that, But Peter Link coming from Crossroads, because you know, my grandparents watched Crossroads. Now, of course, and I've seen some Crossroads recently, Goodness me. I mean, we think that, uh, you know, some of Doctor Who's production standards are um, a fair stretch for a modern audience. But my God, at least it's trying to, trying to create space uh, and, and you know, stretch the imagination. Uh, <laughs> um, so, so time has not been kind to Crossroads. It really hasn't. But I think at the time, Crossroads was even a bit of a joke. So actually, rather than Peter Ling uh, giving illustriousness to Doctor Who by dint of his presiding over the grottiest motel uh, in uh, in the Midlands. 
Um, uh, Doctor Who, I think, adds a charming little adjunct to his uh, Peter the, the the Ling CV. Um, he did try and write. In fact, yeah, he tried to write um, for Who again in the eighties, didn't he, with Hexagoria, which is a big finish that I am in, uh, playing an Australian boyfriend of Tegan who gets turned into an insect only in Doctor Who uh, so uh, I never had the pleasure of uh, meeting Mr Ling but I, he did do uh, interview for Doctor Who magazine didn't he and I think it's great that he's come from the world of soap opera where you know he noticed people treated soap actors like the characters that they played and I, I'm sure most listeners are aware that my current partner i'm never an optimist <laughs> these things always hang by a gossamer thread uh my current partner well well she still can't leave the house um is uh is a soap opera actress she prefers actor funny enough interesting enough she's a soap opera actor uh she's not stroppy about it or anything it's just she uses actor she didn't correct me when i say actress but it's just what she uses so i should try shouldn't i um uh and so you know we sort of know what it's like. I, d I mean, I think audiences are a bit more savvy these days. I don't think many people stop her on the street and think that she's actually the character that she plays. But there are people who do or who talk to people like their, their, their fictional version. And I think that's a great idea. I mean, it's not necessarily a thing I'd think about that would then make me write a Doctor Who story. But uh, I think it's lovely that it did because... So often a Doctor Who story is, oh, you know, I saw that everyday object, you know, seaweed, crack in the wall, a clown or whatever, and thought, I will try and make that scary, which is a very, very legitimate way of going about dreaming up your Doctor Who story. Oh, what's an everyday thing I can use to terrify the kids? But I love the fact that the format is such that you can also come out of left field and go, I've noticed that people think that actors who play their fictional characters are their fictional characters. What if there was a place where they all existed. And I love the fact that it doesn't bother to sort of explain the science of it. You know, it doesn't explain the science of what it means to become fictional, as which is what's happening with uh, Jamie and Zoe here. And that's quite disturbing, isn't it? That you've got the, the sort of impassively faced uh, Jamie and Zoe there, you know, their personalities removed. They are, uh, you know, they're a soulless, if you like. Perhaps that's it. Fictional characters don't have a soul. I love the way she says, are you a prince with sort of hope? And he's very forlorn, uh, this very pretty Rapunzel. Uh, uh, and, and, and I like that, that that's her very single-minded uh, <laughs> hope, is that everyone she meets is a prince. And I also like the fact that, you know, even though, you know, the threat here is becoming a fictional character, the fictional characters, you know, the whole world isn't against the Doctor. The characters within... The fictional world if they are nice characters they're perfectly happy to help and i like that i think that's charming often doctor who is scary often doctor who is action-packed often doctor who is is tense um and sometimes you know characters bond together through bravery and guts but here the characters bond with the doctor because they're nice people out of children's literature and i think that's rather that's rather joyous and sweet and it and it works with this most childlike of doctors patrick troughton seeing patrick troughton getting sort of matey with pictures from uh, with with people from picture books and fairy tales seems to me rather appropriate it's like the sort of grown-up kid has gone to meet his childhood friends even though of course the doctor being a, we don't know this yet but being all right being an alien you know is is not perhaps as steeped in our childhood literature as 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 we might be but but it's what Tratton represents isn't it it's, he's a big kid he's our he's our childhood writ large and so it's it's actually very sweet to see him 
he fits really well surrounded by this sort of gaggle of kids who yes who could be from a sort of e nesbit or um, somebody on page when i said you know they're not they're not specifically from any work of fiction you know but there is there's all those sorts of books aren't there the e nesbit ones and swallows and amazons and all those sorts of things so they they could be any and um, lion the witch and the wardrobe and all those have, have all got these sort of um you know uh, posh jolly kids getting into scrapes uh or not yeah um so so yeah so um you know he he seems to fit with all of that you know, Troughton holding hands with a bunch of kids. I don't know if he does hold their hands in this. I don't think he does, but I can sort of see him doing that and it not being remotely weird and it not being massively sort of paternalistic either. They, they'd be kind of holding his hands as much as he's holding theirs, you know. Um, this is weird, isn't it? Seeing uh, seeing Jamie and Zoe so sort of impassive and personality roofed. But fortunately, uh, Emery Jones has had a week to wipe the spittle from the corner of his mouth. <laughs> Which I suppose, you see, if they'd released this as an uned as, as an edited together video, as they did um, for a while back in the day, uh, you know, you could have tell where, the, where you know, often people write into Doctor Magazine, so where were the cliffhangers? You know, where were the cliffhangers for the seeds of death? matrix data bank and they'd sort of list the, the cliffhangers well, you thought really you thought really and sometimes you could tell because of the cut or the change in print quality or whatever but you'd be able to tell this one because the the master suddenly didn't have his spit in spit in his gob anymore oh fraser fraser very much enjoys being mean and evil there um oh very and it's uh Oh, that's that's really disturbing, isn't it? And especially as they're slightly because it's really hard to uh, act laughing, so it is slightly artificial. But you could sort of go, but that actually, you know, I think if a, a director seeing that, you'd go, actually, I'm not going to try and make that any more realistic laughter because it is the sort of uh, half-baked, forced cackle of of of, of an acted laughter because laughing acting laughing is hard especially acting um mean laughing because actually people don't really laugh meanly in that way that much i love the way he says sausages <laughs> sausages man will come like a string of sausages and i wonder if the, in the script it was man will become like a string of sausages and, and Trent went, well i'll say I, I think i'll say sausages first because he knows that him saying sausages kind of sounds funny it's a, it's, a, it's knowing your strengths as an actor there it was a, it's like rowan atkinson with bob you know if there's a word that you know that you can say i do it as a comic you know there's certain words i know probably sound sound better coming out of my mouth than others so you know you, you try and try and throw those in um but yeah but the, the the kids laughing because it was slightly artificial it did give it a slightly sort of surreal unreal quality which matched with the fact that you know the TARDIS had just turned two-dimensional and into a photo blow up and the fact that this is all the sort of fictional world um you know bending reality or being or being an ersatz uh, um rendition of something real uh and you know, I, I I wonder how early in the story this idea came out. I remember seeing pictures of this uh, the, this climax in Doctor Who magazine because obviously the, the the climax is filmed with all those characters from from fiction. This sort of big fight that they have now, and you sort of think, I wonder if you know when he was writing, he thought, yeah, I'll get Bluebeard, I'll get. Although he he wasn't necessarily not all of them were necessarily fictional, were they? But I'll get Cyrano de Bergerac, I'll get Sir Lancelot, and they can all have a fight. And and probably when he was thinking of the story, that was probably loomed quite large. But then as he sort of put it together, 
there's not much you can do with that apart from them having a bit of a fight. So, and I remember them show having pictures of uh, David Cannon as Serrano, and I think they took close-ups, Jerry Wayne as Blackbeard, isn't it, of all of them because there was a filming session and so because there was, um, you know, time to take photos and all of that. Um, so if you didn't know the story, you'd be led to think that these characters played a much bigger part than they actually do because when you watch the episode they're you know they're, they're barely in it um but they you know they, they they were there for a lot of the photographs being taken so you'd think Cyrano de Bergerac was actually a, a massive character in the mind robber rather than somebody who's in it for about 15 seconds um but you could see why they would think of this as the climax going right what's the the the, the big face-off I mean it, it it does sort of actually sideline uh Jamie and Zoe uh, and indeed the Doctor, because he's all sort of trussed up uh, and can't do that much. Uh, uh, and it's, uh, you know, it's given over to him suddenly you know, invoking a film sequence of, uh, of, of of headline fictional characters, or not, as I say it. It, it. it becomes a bit sort of blurred fantasy and reality. But this is, a, you know, this is a, a, a smart use of what it is that they're doing. Uh is 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 going right now now the doctor is writing his own fiction and it means we can have i'm sure what was imagined to be a sort of if you did this as a movie wouldn't it you'd have a big budget kind of painted backdrop kind of you know battlefield between all sorts of physical uh, you know fictional characters actually uh all we have is uh well i mean we do go to film at least um so it's you know they they do they do make an attempt to, to to sort of broaden the story out, which has been quite sort of confined apart from that little bit of uh, location filming. And, you know, the face-off is is basically the Master and the Doctor talking to each other, but they're, you know, they're essentially choosing their weapons. So here we are. Here's Cyrano de Bergerac. Um, is it, It's David Cannon, who we didn't really know anything about. And then a, a, a friend of mine who I, who I speak to online uh, found that he'd, he'd passed away in America two or three years ago. He'd become a, a practitioner of some kind, a, a general practitioner or so. I can't remember now, but I'll I'll put it in a more factual thing. But he'd he'd got he wasn't acting uh, in 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 the states. And yes, I'm afraid he died uh, about uh, two or three years ago without ever having been sort of contacted about Doctor Who. Um, D'Artagnan and Sir Lancelot is a wonderful swordsman, John Greenwood, who I had the pleasure of chatting to over the phone uh, when his uh, former colleague Derek Ware had passed away. Now, John had done was an excellent swordsman and became a swords teacher at drama schools, but had been the swords master on um, Olivier Shakespeare films and, and, done, and done lots of uh, illustrious theatre uh, sword fight arranging as well. And, and he lived not far from my mum. He lived in Hereford. So I thought, well, what I'll do is, there's a few people that live around there. What I'll do is when I go and visit my mum, I'll, and I'd asked John, I said, when I'm in next in Shropshire, can I come to yours? He said, oh, absolutely. Blah, blah, because I, I always felt it was nicer to interview people in the flesh. But of course, when you're talking about interviewing old people, what you should do is interview them as soon as possible. I interviewed him about Derek. I've got a little phone call I did with him about Derek Ware. But uh, he's such a career. And, and, and because he'd worked with Olivier and stuff, I thought he might be a bit sort of, well, I'll have to uh, think about this. And he was like, no, absolutely. Yeah, come see me whenever I am, you know, retired. And I, he obviously didn't think of himself as any sort of uh, big stuff at all. He plays Sir Lancelot and uh, D'Artagnan in this, John Greenwood. And in fact, I've just been talking to a, a friend on Facebook who, uh, who he taught at drama school who said that, you know, she said he was absolutely lovely and an excellent swordsman, even, even in his sort of older years. Um, and... Uh, 
but I, I, I sort of thought, oh, yes, no, you should, you, you know, I should go round. I should bring him a bottle of wine. Actually, he'd have been happy if I'd interviewed him then, if I'd just interviewed him on the phone about his career. Uh, and I'd have that now as a record and it would have been lovely. But I, I, I always resisted uh, interviewing people on the phone because I thought it was better to meet them in person and to buy them lunch just as a sort of courtesy. But actually now, I think most people would actually be happier to just get it out of the way over the phone. They don't need to be bought lunch. They don't need to get, leave the house and go and meet a stranger. But I, my mind didn't work that way then. I didn't think, oh, let's just do it over the phone. I thought one had to meet people because you can interview and you can get perfectly decent quality recordings of interviews over the phone. But I did always did that as a last resort. Now, of course, you'd do it on Zoom at the drop of a hat. But, you know, I'm talking pre-plague people. I'm talking, I'm talking from a time when Zoom was just a rocket-shaped lollipop. Um, so, so that, that, I mean, that film sequence doesn't last very long at all, but as I say, you would think from the photos that we had of those characters that that was a major part of the drama. I do like the sort of close up of the guns of the white robots. They're very effective. They've made good use of these, these costumes. Uh, and, uh, and, and now the sort of whole world goes haywire using a lot of footage from sort of previous episodes. It's, uh, uh, I mean, as endings go, there's, it's not it's not hugely uh, clever. Well, no, it's, they've had the climax with the face off of the different characters, but um, uh, yeah, they basically get who built the computer. They basically get the robots to shoot the computer. It's a it's a fairly straightforward. It's it's quite a rushed ending actually, but this is all very effective. The close ups of the. Chess, but he's, he's not averse to doing close-ups of his monster bits, as, as we know from the Crotons. And that's actually not a bad idea, especially when you're on film, where everything looks a bit better. It's, it's, uh, I, think, I think less bold directors might shy away from that, but uh, I think Maloney has the courage of his convictions. And this is all very well done. Um, for a story that still nonetheless feels quite small and quite contained, the, there's, a, you know, there's a lot of... Uh, you know these sort of you know VT shots in a in a small set trying to convey as best they can the sort of you know the cataclysm unfolding the climactic cataclysm much of which now takes place with just the actors and a black backdrop I mean it really is sort of done on the cheap but as I say I think this story can handle it I love the fact he's got a copy of his own his own magazine <laughs> but but you know um it, 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 it is a sort of, especially when next week, you know, we sort of, we, you know, you know, we, we don't pick up from this, you know, we don't actually see what happens to the master. We don't see them drop him off. It, it's, it's one of those stories where the ending, especially as the running time is, is so low, uh, is, is so small, where the ending does feel a little bit rushed. And I think next week you go, oh, I kind of thought we'd be picking up more blatantly from, from, from where we left off. Uh, but... Again, the fact that it's slightly awkward, that it's it's it 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 it, 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 it sort of, you know, a bit like when you leave a, a book, that is the kind of end, isn't it? It's uh, you know, when a when a when a piece of a non-continuous fiction, whereas of course Doctor Who has to come back next week, um, is uh, it I the the fact that it kind of finishes in a in a in, in in a slightly odd and not quite fully formed manner maybe maybe again kind of lives with the slightly weird 
way that the story is. Jack Kine and Bernard Wilkie credited as the special effects, the founders of the BBC visual effects department, the, the main men uh, who uh, were the first two BBC visual effects department people. I was very fortunate that I, uh, I uh, uh, corresponded with both men and I have taped memories of Jack Kine. In fact, I've just been in touch with his daughter who had found a little piece I'd done on Peter Day on my website and got in touch and I said, oh, you don't know anything. You you don't know that your dad sent me a, a cassette when I was a kid with his recorded memories of Quatermass and his career and that he was, and he was really encouraging to me. He said some lovely words on that tape, just going, look, I can tell you're a kid and, you know, you've gone about this the right way and, you know, you keep going and you, you can achieve whatever you want. Now, all stuff that he absolutely needn't have said, you know, to me, this kid in Shropshire in the middle of nowhere, uh, by a legend of the, uh, you know, of, of BBC special effects. So Jack, um, whereas Bernard uh, sent very detailed typed documents instead of uh, tapes. But, I, and I'm in, but I'm in touch with his son. In fact, I'm in touch with all the children of the BBC visual effects people. And Martin Wilkie came to my comedy club not long ago. I've worked with Martin. I've, I've written some stuff for his, um, for his, because uh, uh, he does exhibitions and he did the Doctor exhibitions for a while. So I've written sort of cat captioning and literature for him but uh, he helped me with Bernard's uh, obituary and we've kept in touch over the years he um, you know he's, he's, he's often good for a number or something and he, but his daughter I think was coming to Manchester University so he popped into the comedy club and was like oh who's this uh, god it's Martin and we had a lovely old chat and he was he was so pleased and again he was so kind because he because you see you forget they he sort of sees somebody like me not just but as as a as a kind of continuer of his dad's flame going oh, i'm glad you know people like you are out there sort of remembering my dad and i'm going no 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 your dad and is a legend and i'm really pleased uh, to you know that uh, that i i'm able to speak of personal experience of that person because they were so kind enough to you know play a part in my life when they could have been doing all sorts of other things so you know i i see it as that the favor is very much been done to me and me talking about Bernard Wilkie or writing, mentioning him in an article or just, just you know, mentioning to his son that, uh, you know, his work is important is, uh, you know, that's no effort. It's the Lord's work uh, and the Lord ain't doing it. So I'm afraid Toby Haydock has to be his first. Not just me, as I say, there are, there are, you know, all of us, all of us Doctor Who fans. I'm just lucky enough that, you know, I'm, I'm one that people like Martin may, may be aware of, but we all, don't we? We, we keep these names alive because we appreciate their work. We read the credits. Well, I think the most discerning amongst us do. The names stick. Um, and we have the brains that, you know, can cross section who worked with who and who did what with what. And, and we remember their names and we appreciate their work. And we see the, you know, we see their names, you know, burnt into our screens and we appreciate their work. So uh, it's it's all lovely that... Uh, that uh, you know, I, I, that that connection still persists, and that's down to the internet. I mean, Jack Jack Kine's daughter lives in Australia, and as I say, she didn't uh, email me because she knew anything about the fact that I'd been in touch with Jack. So actually, I was able to send her the the recording that he sent me. So she had you know something of his voice of him 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 talking, and she'd never heard that before because of course he'd done it for me and sent it to me. So it's nice to be able to do those things as well. So this you know this fandom thing that we do and this this chronicling of this show, it's not just about Make it. In fact, how appropriate for the mind robber. It's not just about the world of fiction. It's about the world of fiction coming into our real life. The facts of fiction, the word, which was a great working title, which they should have used. Um, but that, 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 that world informing our real life and actually 
you know, giving some meaning is perhaps too strong a word, but I think it's nice for people whose, you know, parents have maybe passed on to hear from people like me or you or anybody that might talk to them and go, oh, yeah, no, I know who your dad is. And he worked on something that means a lot to me. And he worked on something, well, one, at a base level, entertained me and I still like. And two, is part of a show that has given my life meaning or shape or given me, you know, solace when I've been down or cheered me up or or even just excited me or just given me something to do or helped with my professional work, you know, all of those things. That is a way, if you are a creative person, who, you know, you you know, the, the idea that you, your life, your, your or, or if your parent was a creative person, that their, that their work might have inspired others or, or even just pleased them or, 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 or still means something to them and is still watched by them. That's a kind of immortality. It's, it's kind of, you know, those real people now reside in a land of fiction of their own in 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 the fit you know in 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 the in 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 the world of doctor who a, a fictional program we know the reality of those people because we're interested in what goes on behind the scenes and that you know that's where they live now now that uh, you know they've uh, they've outgrown this earth and i think there's something very moving about that and i'm always as i say i'm always i always think it's interesting when you know, you 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 come, you stumble across a person because of their connection with Doctor, Who, and then of course you find out that their life is so much bigger, better, and more interesting. But that's kind of what Doctor Who is all about in its own way as well. You know, it's it's and it's more than a sum of its parts, Doctor. Who. It's more than just uh, you know a family friendly tea time science fiction show. It it it, it is now a cultural institution. It is now. Um, you know, it is now so much more than the sum of its parts, so much more than it was ever intended to be. And that, of course, impacts on the people who consume it and indeed the people who made it and indeed the children of the people who made it back in the day. And I think that's all that goes to make Doctor Who more than just a fictional programme. But he was wrangling with concepts of fiction, wasn't he, in episode five of the mind robber what a strange story it is i don't mind the fact that uh you know there's no there's no great sort of twists or reveals or what you know once they've done the thing of going this is a world where fictional people live i mean they do all sorts of lovely facets things with it uh and and uh, uh you know they they make it fun and strange and surreal but there's no you know in terms of what the the story is but as i say i i quite like the fact that we don't have the mechanics of how it actually works and what process they have to go into i mean i i would even say that the i the idea at the end where they go and and our actual plan is to invade the earth that's where it's kind of gone so peter we we love this idea of the land of fiction and fictional characters being alive but this is doctor who what's what's the threat and he's like ah okay right well they, they want to invade earth then and you go oh, okay then okay then so long as you give patrick trout a line about sausages it'll be fine but i think all of that is actually less i i never feel that the earth is under threat um but 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 you know um but you know perhaps we needed to cut to a not very well written family going Oh, all our books have closed. What should we do now? Um, uh, but um, what, uh, what, um, what, what, what? Because that's not really what the story is about. It's about this strange, abstract idea of what it means to be real and what it means to be fictional. And and as I say, the Doctor sort of ganging together with all these 
these these people from the pages of books, which is sort of rather fun and interesting, and doesn't does it? You know, it's it's almost like he's gone. All right, well, I'll sort of give you a plot, but I'm not. I don't really care. How does it end? Oh, well, we just get them to shoot it. It's fine. You know, it's it's the the journey is is more interesting. That's actually often the case with reading a book. You know, you quite often it's the the memorable bits about a book are the are the passages, are the descriptions, are the characters. It's not actually. You know, there's very few endings of books, I think, where you go, oh, wow, I can see why that's been building to that, you know. Um, but that's, I mean, that's because there are a lot of books. That's not, I'm not, not knocking books. Right. Uh, so what, I've got to choose a favourite thing from that episode. And I've got to choose a favourite thing throughout. And I also can't remember... <laughs> what I've chosen for the earlier episodes because this one I've broken up rather a lot and thereby hangs a tale uh, it's funny I love this story I think it's brilliant I think it's joyous I think it's charming I think it's original I think it's inventive I think it's abstract I think it's strange I think it bounces along it's not dull it doesn't overstay its welcome and I always enjoy watching it when I watch it but I never really want to watch it. Isn't that weird? Even though I know it's good, I know it's well made. I know it's got loads of ideas that when I watch them, I go, God, they've done that really well. The, the forest of words, the pages of the book, the, 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 the toy soldiers, all of the characters are nicely acted. And, a, and again, a rather charming, uh, you know, Gulliver is a charming, you know, sort of stoical, heroic, nice presence. You know, Rapunzel is delightful. You know, they're all... They're all sort of rather joyous. Um, even you know, new new Jamie is uh, is is good because you know Hamish Wilson comes in and gamely throws himself into it and does a fantastic job. It's all great, and yet if I'm looking along the shelf, it is very rare that I'll go. Oh yeah, I want to watch that one. Uh, even episode one, which I know is just magnificent, uh, I sort of think, yeah, but it's just the Doctor and the white screen in it. And it, I, so it, it's funny. It never makes me want to watch it it was never one i'd probably list in my favorite stories but if i had to score every story out of 10 i would probably score it very highly but i would never put it in a top three or a top five or whatever even of troutons probably because i'm drawn more to the base under siege the more gritty the more realistic in inverted commas which is weird because there's lots of gritty and realistic television programs out there and i don't really care for them i like doctor who because it's got that sort of zesty fantasy element to it amongst the grit and the action and the adventure but it's weird i i prefer it when a zesty children friendly show is being gritty in its in you know within its own limitations than i do an adult show being gritty um and yet when doctor who is the things that it is that make it unlike an adult show zesty and frothy and fun and weird and strange i go oh no i need a bit more of the things that like the other programs even though those aren't my programs really weird i don't i'm trying to articulate why i think the mind robber is brilliant but why i very rarely want to watch it <laughs> isn't that interesting um maybe it's not but i thought it worth trying to rationalize and the way i do that through the medium of podcast is to keep saying words until some of them make sense i'm not sure i reached a conclusion there but i think i at least articulated that the, the the paradoxical nature of my appreciation of this story but i still haven't come up with two favorite bits i think i i think uh, i will 
choose um i i do love the design of the toy soldiers i remember reading about them and thinking well what will they look like and then i saw pictures of them and i thought oh no they look really good and then on the screen with the noise that they make the way that they move the 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 the, the twisty things on the back uh they're a really good you know you can see I, if i was peter ling and i'd come up with the idea of toy soldiers uh as as my sort of one of my secondary menaces and that was the design and the noise and everything that they came up with i think i'd be delighted i think they're they are exactly what you'd want in this and indeed in the celestial toy maker which which you know that they have some you know they would have not been out of of place in. they are something from a pulled from a toy box and made giant and without much change to what they actually are, but just for the fact that they're big ones and they're moving about, and maybe they've curved their mouth slightly, they look terrifying because they are a perversion of a, a you know, of a toy. A giant toy is in a bit in in, in the way that you know a, a clown can be scary as well. Uh, you know, a, 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 yeah, a slightly sort of perverted version of a, a, a kid's thing uh, is you know has an added sort of menace and strangeness to it so i think i, th I think the design of the uh, of the toy soldiers is maybe my overall thing and my favorite thing from episode five is uh, do you know what uh because i'm not going to win anyway and i'm not going to try and intellectualize this for once and go yeah well i think because i i do quite i did actually really like the way those kids laughed even though i don't think it was you know deliberate i think they were they were trying to act menacing laughing and it sounds pony because it is because it's hard to do so it's just not not very good in a way but it it kind of works as i explained when i was watching the episode it does kind of work for this sort of strangely you know fiction brought to life but not quite you know but still being slightly everything is slightly cardboard and fictional including the people you know i think that that works really beautifully i could intellectualize that which is essentially a a, a thing not pulled off particularly well but by virtue of what we're watching and what we're doing you can sort of say yeah but i can kind of see why that might work but that's also because i'm obviously well inclined to this stuff and it it behoves me to uh to to, to always see the positive you know like i said once we're doctor who fans we see body horror where other people see sticky tape you know and that's okay i'm fine with that but uh i, I think that would be dishonest of me because i just noticed it when i was watching it this time it's not a piece i particularly noticed before and perhaps because i was in you know the navel gazing zone i was able to intellectualize it on the fly but the bit that actually that i that that always makes me smile about this episode and is there's a bit that if you had to go toby mind robber episode five you know i'd think about the fight and there's nothing wrong with the fight it's very well done i think it's a great idea having all those literary characters fighting each other but it's quite cursory um as I say, you can see that they might have thought of it being, you know, a really major part of the story. But then when they actually got it together, go, well, there's actually not an awful lot we can do with this. And essentially, you know, the, the Doctor and the Master are basically saying, here's another character with a with a bigger sword. You know, that's that's essentially all that is. So it's not particularly smart. It's just it's just a fun array of characters from, you know, the books you had as a, as a school kid. So that's quite fun. That's 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 nice to have in Doctor Who. And I always liked it when Doctor Who featured stuff from from books from other books that i'd read again it sort of seemed to me to accord doctor who some sort of 
respectability that it was that it was invoking stuff from other sources but especially sources if we had in 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 books at our house it sort of yeah it made made seem doctor who had its, its finger on the pulse of what was going on with you know childhood and childhood imagination so that's very much to its credit but actually in uh, in execution even though it's filmed and so it's very it's very very nicely done and you know john greenwood was a, a fine swordsman and a, a nice man um I, I I think I again I could probably intellectualize that and make a good case for it, but I think I would be being dishonest. I like some of the close-up shots of the guns firing and stuff like that, and I think uh, you know I think that that climax is is well done, despite the fact that it's obvious that it's being done with very very limited resources, but which again kind of lend themselves to this story. The fact that it's just a black cloth sort of says, well, but this world is made of nothing. You know, I think all of that. I could intellectualise all of that, and in fact I probably have done. But the bit that I always go back to with episode five of The Mind Robber is the way that Patrick Troughton says the word sausages. And do you know what? When you've got an actor, and I, you know, I could choose Troughton every week if I wanted to because he's often the best thing about any episode that he's in. He's such a good actor. But I could choose Jamie and Zoe too because I love Fraser Hines and I love Wendy Padbury. I could have chosen Wendy Padbury's sequined cat suit because it's an it's a it's it's an iconic costume uh and it's and i've never seen it i've never seen anybody wear uh, a, a sequined cat suit and yet i don't bat an eyelid that one's in doctor who that's the beauty of doctor who you can wear an article of clothing that if i saw anybody wearing it today i'd probably write an essay about it do you know what i mean i think it'd be an anecdote i'd show i've just seen somebody wearing a sequined cat suit what but in doctor who, it just seems perfectly acceptable so much so that i i probably not even mentioned it during this whole five episode commentary um but there is so all of those things but this but but yeah so i could choose Troughton any any week really but he does have a way of saying certain words he does have a certain style of enunciation that 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 can be sort of alarmed and childish and childlike and sort of charming and yet you know makes you slightly scared at the same he makes fear sort of comfortingly funny without him sending it up he's not sending it up but the way he says sausages is funny and the concept he's talking about you know humanity all becoming conforming and 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 personalityless and and the same is a, is a horrifying concept and he's not at any point underselling or undermining that horror but he is doing it while saying the word sausages and it's funny uh and Doctor Who is at its best when it is both funny and scary at the same time. And one isn't acting against the other. They're strangely, dissonantly complementing each other and yet seemingly pulling in completely different directions. And that's hard to do. And that's the sort of thing you can only do when you've got an actor like Patrick Troughton who can do both of those things at once, who will never stop you believing that it's scary and serious, but is also very funny the way that he says things. So... Episode five, it's the way that Patrick Troughton says sausages. I'll tell you what, if he chooses that, I'm going to buy one lucky listener uh, a nice lolly. I don't know how I'm <laughs> going to do that. Um, and uh, for the whole thing, because I don't think I've chosen this up to this point. I hope not. Otherwise, this will be a first. You see, my memory is not what it used to be. Memory cheats. My memory doesn't even know how to play anymore. Um doesn't even know what game it is um i will choose the toy soldiers i don't think i've chosen them before so uh david j Howe, what's he going to choose for the mind robber five? Oh, he's wearing an australian hat with corks on so it the final episode of the mind robber um incredible story 
What I love about this episode is the way the Doctor rescues Jamie and Zoe. Um, he gives them the confidence to push open the pages of the book in which they've been trapped um, and they actually manage to escape and not become a part of the fiction, which is what, of course, the master of the land of fiction wants all along. Um, apart from the line, sausages right. now will all become like a string of sausages all the same, which I also love, um, that's my favourite thing about that episode. Well, well, hang on, you said apart from sausages... So you're saying sausages is, the, is your favourite thing, David, but you chose... I actually, that's a very good choice, the Jamie and Zoe thing, which I was a bit... I, was, I think I was probably... What was I doing? Talking about a regret I had about an actor, probably, uh, about a lost opportunity, something something that... Uh, yeah, something... Some festering little regret of mine that I, I, I seek to... Uh, uh, I seek to exorcise through the medium of talking about out, out loud in a podcast. But of course, the, it's like a sort of confessional of going, I wish I'd done this a different way. Somehow by saying to you, it'll make it'll make any regrets I have go away. Ridiculous. Um, I don't think it counts as podcasting, really. Um, uh, so I, was, I think I was doing that when, when that piece of action was going on and didn't give it its due attention. You know, I always broadcast these with the caveat that I will miss bits, certainly dialogue, because... The nature of it is I have I have to keep talking. It's not like a DVD commentary where, because I don't think most of you uh, watch with the pictures going along and I'm not with other people watching it knowing that, you know, the visuals will carry something. I have to keep talking and that means I will miss some of the subtleties and some of the dialogue. And I think that was a, a good choice of, of David because the Doctor empowering the companions and therefore empowering us is always a good and a positive thing especially a vulnerable doctor like Troughton who's going you know because of the subtext there is you know I'm a bit scared as well but we can do this and I think that's a, a wonderful lesson what is it John Pertwee says it's a uh, you know courage isn't being isn't isn't not being scared it's being scared and doing what you have to do anyway and uh, and and you know the the, the doctor in, in, in you know in, in inspiring us to to stand up and you know see it through even though it's a, a terrifying prospect is uh, is a good is a good underlying message for the show i think um but he did say uh, uh, that was his favorite thing apart from the way that patrick trout says sausages but he wasn't brave enough to, he wasn't brave enough to choose the sausages ah <laughs> oh, you see david you may be you may be one of the you know the founding fathers of doctor who fan research but you're 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 too much of a coward to choose the sausages lest you think that people might judge you whereas i have no shame i'm a sausage man all the way um david in that visual is wearing as i say an australian hat with corks hanging from it uh, so he should really be watching the enemy of the world and what's his final thing in the mind robber remember i chose the toy soldiers what has he chosen welcome back toby well i hope you've enjoyed watching oh hang on that's his um uh, and what's his bonus thing for the mind robber which uh, bear in mind mine was the toy soldiers so he's got something it can come from any or all episodes one final thing i, I mean I, you know i'm nowhere near um uh, matching him for points i've lost so i will become I, I will recede into the pages of a book and become merely black and a blacker two-dimensional black and white photograph but before that let's see if i can have just if i can just grab myself a little bit of respectability if david chooses which i don't think he will the toy soldiers he'll probably choose something much more meaningful and profound that i'll immediately go oh why didn't i choose that because you were talking toby that's why because you were talking welcome back toby well i hope you've enjoyed watching the mind rubber and um, did you guess all of my things that i like about all the episodes i don't know if you did but i've got a bonus one for you so 
Maybe you can guess what my bonus thing that I love about this story is. Well, it's Zoe's cat suit. Ah! She looks absolutely incredible. At the beginning of the story, she changes out of a Dulcian outfit that she was wearing for the previous story into this amazing glittery cat suit kind of ensemble that she runs around the story um, having fun in. Um, it, she looks amazing. It, it's incredible. And I remember it from when I was a, a little lad um, that I was kind of starting to get a bit of a crush on, uh, on Zoe off of Doctor Who. Um, so that's my bonus item for you. Um, I just wanted to mention as well, the other thing I've been doing, Mind Game. This is my novelisation, very proud of it. It's got um, Draconians, Sontarans, and a human uh, mercenary who may or may not be uh, really, really ace. Um, but it's a great novelisation of uh, some dramas. So I'm really proud of that. Um, thank you very much for having me, Toby. I hope you enjoyed the story. Um, and let's keep on appreciating Doctor Who. Cheers, mate. Oh, you see, it's horrible. When I see David talking there, I go, oh, do you... I say hello at conventions, we have a chat, but when you go, oh yeah, this is somebody I haven't actually seen in the flesh for ages, and it reminds me of all the lovely people out there. It's, it's hard, isn't it? Because sometimes I think we, you know, you look at Doctor Who fans and the way some express themselves on the internet, um, and, and not all people who express themselves badly on the internet are bad people and deliberate trolls. Sometimes, you know, being a Doctor Who fan is quite a frustrating thing, and expressing yourself on the internet is quite a hard thing, and sometimes I think we worry too much about how, the, how other people express themselves and don't sort of give them the credit for having a universe of their own terrors to face and sometimes, you know, you know, rage, raging at, uh, at at the way that somebody else has made or liked or watched Doctor Who is, is, is the way that people, you know, I, I exercise my demons by talking to you about regrets I've had over meetings or otherwise with character actors. Other people, you know, yeah, as I say, get online and, and vent a little bit and sometimes not as perhaps articulately as they might if they were in human company and could see the expressions on your face. Um, you know, but it's when I see people like David, who I don't see really often enough, and and when I occasionally, you know, do you know do do come across a a, a gang of uh, of hooers. <laughs> If if this is ever transcribed, that will read. If I ever come across a gang of fools, um, well, I, I, you know what I mean. Um, it's a reminder that there are lots of you know there are lots of lovely people out there who've you know written about and chronicled and contributed to the to, you know to the to the archiving and history and research of this show and just enjoying it and ju just who've contributed to sort of social occasions where you can get together and discuss your favourite programme. And David is one of those and it's very nice to see him. Uh, he is, I mean, he did this, everybody recorded their con contributions to this a while ago. And so he's uh, he's holding on to mind game there. I thought he very artfully um, slipped in that there was a character who may or who, who you know who had an ace personality? Uh, I thought he did that very well. He did it better than I've just done it now. Um, but since then, uh, there's other books have come out as well. So do do if you've enjoyed his contribution to this or you enjoy this podcast, which if you're not a patron is obviously free. Um, and if you're enjoying it for free, maybe support some of the work of the the guests that you hear. So David's book on Mind Game, which is a, a Doctor Who sort of spin off. Um, and, and based based on uh, based on a, a, a video drama as well, so it's got you know it's part of the rich tapestry of Doctor Who offshoots, and especially offshoots that were made when uh, you know Doctor Who was uh, Doctor Who material was thin on the ground, and it was itself a rather neglected uh, franchise. Poor old Doctor Who. I don't like the word franchise. I immediately regretted saying that. Um, uh, old thing. It was rather a neglected old thing. I much prefer the phrase old thing to the word franchise. Ha <laughs> ha. Um, but he's also, I've just bought a book um, called This Is A Fake, 
which is from uh, Telos Publications. But they've got quite a, a, Andrew Mark Thompson, brilliant uh, designer um, and wit and creator of pretend tie-in merchandise. Uh, and and Telos have put that all together in a beautifully presented book. But Telos have got I've and I've pre-ordered both of their production diaries of Hartnell and Troughton, which have been put together by David Brunt, who's been a great help with things like Too Much Information, one of the unsung heroes of fandom, David Brunt. Uh, and David's books look like they're going to be exhaustive and superb. So Telos Publishing, that uh, that David um, has, has published many, many books through his, his imprint, uh, is, uh, is, is, a, is a very important part of the Doctor Who publishing world, but doesn't necessarily get uh, the, the the coverage that I think it sometimes deserves. So if you've enjoyed David's contribution to this, please check out uh, Telos Publishing. There's there's lots of lovely books there, and it's a you know they're an independent outfit, and uh, the more people that buy their books, the more they can produce the sort of books that I know. If you're listening to this rubbish, uh, they actually produce some quality stuff that's really worth your time uh, and and your money. Um, so yeah, go do do check out. Uh, David's David stuff so thanks to David that was lovely to see him um, I'm sorry he's had to wait so long for this uh, I hope you enjoyed going to the land of fiction uh, but that you're feeling very much still that you are in, in your very own factual world I, th I think it would be really interesting to revisit the land of fiction I think it would be a bold show that what but one day it will happen might happen after I'm dead, though. It might, it might have to be a long way down the line because it really will get accused of disappearing up its own fundament. But I think there is a story to be had. And I know there have been, um, you know, books and comic strips where where this has been flirted with. But, but, but where, yeah, the Doctor lands and somebody goes, oh, hello, insert name of actor playing Doctor Who here. Uh, are you ready for your interview? And that the Doctor lands in a world where they're trying, that where, where the Doctor is is you know an actor in a long-running television show i think you could do really interesting stuff it could be awful but like all you know ideas of promise it could also be wonderful and isn't that the risk and that's ultimately why i think the mind robber is so cherishable because it's not probably isn't made up of ingredients that that float my particular boat that's a mixed metaphor my ingredients are floating a boat where's your boat in a bowl of soup um uh, but for, for for its ambition for its for its difference but but then for the way that it's executed it's not just that it's a good and bold idea that's that's a slight change to what doctor normally does the director and the production team do everything that is asked of them uh, and, and actually some of Doctor Who's disadvantages, you know, the cheapness, uh, you know, the, the, the obvious artifice sometimes, really actually works in the story's favour. So I think it's a bold and it's a brilliant experiment. And I'm very, very glad that it exists. But I'm also very glad that, that I exist too and I'm not, or am I, a work of fiction. Well, thank you ever so much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydock, 
and my special guest, David J. Howe. He can be found on Twitter, or is it X? Who knows? Well, by the time you hear this, it could be called any old thing. It could be called Elon Musk's Fun Palace. But uh, whatever it's called, he's there at David J. Howe 1. His website is howswho.co.uk. And of course, check out Telos Publishing for all the excellent Doctor Who-related books that he is in charge of. I'm grateful to David. I'm also grateful to the many patrons who make these podcasts possible. And they include Charles Gears, Lisa Gledhill, James Gould, Paul Greaves, Robin Groen, Paul J. Guest, Aaron Gullias, William Hames, John Hancock, Luke Hannington, Susan Harrison, Steve Hatcher, Duncan Harvey, Ronald Hayden, Paul Hayes, Matthew Herbert, Stephen Hill, Simon Hodges, Andrew Hodson, Sam Hollingsworth, and Matthew Houliston. The music is by Dave Gates, the artwork by Dylan Patterson. Would you like your name read out? Well, that's one of the many bonuses you get for being a patron at patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock, where for as little as £3 a month, actually less than that if you sign up for a year in one go, because then you get a 10% discount, whatever tier you're on. But for as little as £3 a month, or £3 a month minus 10%, you do the math. I hate saying math, it's maths. But, you know, I'm trying to get international appeal, and the Americans say math, but I'm not spelling colour that way. Anyway, I'm disappearing down a bolt hole now in the differences between America and uh, the USA, and I don't want to get my diapers in a twist. So, what am I talking about? I'm talking about Patreon. By the way, the differences aren't, there's no quality judgment there. We just do things differently. We are divided, as they say, by a common language. It's just that here in the UK, we spell all the words correctly. Oh no, that's just probably lost me all sorts of followers. Um, And I have some lovely American followers, very generous ones as well. So actually, you spell theatre however you goddamn like yeah there i wouldn't say goddamn unless it was to appeal to the america i'm disappearing down right listen <laughs> patriot well i've amused myself i mean that's one more person in this usually and today right listen this is just a plug this is uh, i'm this bit is supposed to i don't think i've got to the end of the sentence i started at the beginning of this bit for as little as three pounds a month or three pounds a month minus ten percent you get bonus material you, sadly, you don't get to skip past this bit. Unfortunately, I should offer that as a bonus, shouldn't I? You get you get it without the flannel. You get bare bones, just the Doctor Who, just the Doctor Who stuff, man. Um, so what am I saying? Yes. So you get for as little as three pounds a month, but you can go the tiers go up. You can give me a million pounds a month if you like, but for as little as three pounds a month, you get bonus material, advance releases. You get happy times and places six months in advance. Too much information and indes- uh, indescribable. No, what's it called? Indefinable magic. It was indescribable magic for a moment. I forgot the name of my own podcast. Uh, at least a month in advance. And you get AMAs, um, uh, which is Ask Me Anything, and sometimes emergency questions if I'm stuck in a hotel and uh, have uh, no other means of entertaining, in inverted commas, you. So, uh, I mean, come if you haven't just lost the will to live, come to Patreon for more of this kind of gold. Uh, where would you be without it? Uh, and uh, if But if you can't do a monthly subscription, the other way that you can keep independent artists, apparently that's what I am, from starving to death. You can provide them cyber coffee by going to ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydoke if there's a particular podcast that you've enjoyed or it's just like, you know, it's a bit like when you walk past Kabuska, you uh, every now and again you think, oh, I'll give him 10p or whatever. And you can do, you can do that. You can do that at uh, Kofi. I don't know if you can give me 10p. I think they might make, I think there might be, I don't know. I've, I've never done it myself. I've never done it myself to me. Um, so I don't know what the settings are. Anyway, let's let's pretend. Let's just pretend I know what I'm doing. Go to kofi.com forward slash Toby Uh But look, I know that times are tough 
And the last thing any of us want to be doing is spending money on frivolities. And I ex don't expect you to. You know, these are free uh, at the point of contact. They're just a bit earlier if you're a patron. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, I know the cost of living is going up for everybody. So the fact that you're just listening to this fills me with enormous gratitude. And what costs you nothing apart from a little bit of your time is to go to iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, and good Lord, take to social media and give these five-star reviews and perhaps a few lines to uh, sort of describe them because the more information there is attached to uh, the places that distribute them, the more those places are likely to sort of, you know, ascend them up the display ladder. And it just tweaks my algorithms. And I'm an old man and I need an algorithm tweet every now and again. So if you could do that, I'd be very grateful. That that was supposed to be a quick plug and I think that was probably actually longer than episode five of The Mind Robber, which uh, I was right, by the way. I didn't check. I have checked now. At 18 minutes long. That was, that's, that's the shortest episode of The Mind Robber and, uh, uh, and in Doctor Who terms, I think, I haven't, no, I haven't checked this, but I think I'm pretty confident in saying unless some of the, I think the shortest of Megalos is 19 minutes, I think The Mind Robber 5 might well be the shortest Doctor Who episode of all time and yet I've still managed to do a podcast about it that lasts for an hour what a I won't say what I am it's a rude word and you might be listening before the watershed you can follow me on social media at twitter at Toby Haydoak these podcasts have their own feed at Haydoak Podcasts and I'm on Instagram and I'm trying to get better at Instagram I'm making videos I think they call them reels and all sorts um, so get a reel with me on Instagram at Toby.Haydoak I'd like to get good at Instagram and that features uh, a lot of the stuff from my comedy club Excess Malarkey which is at Excess Malarkey uh, which doesn't necessarily often have anything to do with Doctor at all but it gets really good comedians on it's at 8pm in Manchester every Every Tuesday but as I say I put a lot of its uh, you know little clips and packages on Instagram at toby.haydoak and on Twitter at Toby Haydoak and also I have a Facebook page not the the me bit uh, that's just me um, but there's a page for me as a comedian slash performer or whatever the picture is black and white of me looking apologetic in a hat and if you can follow me there that I think oh it opens the doors to all sorts of magnificence and me plugging gigs that I'm doing and stuff. The magnificence may be difficult to discern, but it's there if you look closely enough or just close your eyes and imagine. Uh, and I'm going to make this code mercifully brief, <laughs> he says, and just say, I didn't comment at the time that David chose Zoe's sequin thing. So at least I mentioned that, her all-in-one sequined catsuit. I mentioned that as a, a point of notoriety, but I didn't choose it as one of my things. David did choose it, his. So at least our minds uh, uh, occasionally crossed into the same sphere of appreciation. But there we go. That was the mind rubber. I hope you enjoyed that. I think my plug for Patreon was perhaps the longest and worst I've done which I think is pretty good I think that's pretty good going after this many episodes I've managed to do something even worse than I've previously managed to do it and um, I hope no Americans were offended by me pointing out the difference in our spelling as I say it's not a pejorative I mean um, you know it's just uh, it's just uh, 
we do things differently, don't we? Differently, but sort of the same. But on a serious note, uh, it's lovely reaching out across the pond. Uh, I've, uh, I, I consider myself to be friends with uh, some Americans I've never met. And uh, it's, well, I think it's a fascinating country. And uh, I've always been made very welcome there at Doctor Who conventions. But uh, one of the beauties of doing this is that you can reach out from across the pond and have lovely back and forths with uh, people from uh, a, a different nation. And then you can just casually <laughs> insult them <laughs> in, in, in a code where you're supposed to just be plugging your Patreon. You bloody idiot. There we go. <laughs>